Welcome and thanks for tuning in to the Victorian Aboriginal News Van Talks podcast. I'm your host, Charles Parkiner. Victorian Aboriginal News acknowledges and pays respect to traditional owners and custodians across Australia. We acknowledge the elders who have gone before, those who currently lead their communities and those who will follow in years and generations to come. In June 2020, the First People's Assembly of Victoria called for a truth and justice process and the following month, the Victorian Government announced its commitment to such a process, designed to run in parallel to the Victorian Treaty process. It was a commitment that saw the appointment of five commissioners and the launch of the Uruk Justice Commission less than 12 months after that initial call made by the Assembly. In line with our coverage of the work undertaken towards treaties in Victoria, in today's podcast we start our ongoing work to bring you up-to-date information about the truth-telling process being undertaken right across the state. And joining me today on the Van Talks podcast is Kerup Mara and Gudijamara man Travis Lovett, who has been a commissioner at the Uruk Justice Commission since the 6th of March 2023, joins us to talk about the work that's been undertaken throughout the year by the Uruk Justice Commission and also looking forward to what might be happening over the next 12 months. Commissioner, thanks for joining me on the podcast today. Yeah, Lee, thanks very much and thanks for the opportunity, Young, to come and uh, share you know, some of my story but also some of the work that we're up to at Uruk Justice Commission, uh, really trying to highlight the the uh, ongoing impacts of uh, colonisation against uh, our people here in Victoria. And one of the things that you have is that you've got incredibly strong connections to country and language. And we spoke before we started recording the podcast and I offered you the invitation to do an acknowledgement of country in your own language. So... Over to you, my brother. Yeah, Delhi, thank you very much. I think also, I'll just prove, normally I do this afterwards, but I'll preface this as around. I always like speaking and sharing language because I think it's important to send messages to our old people, to let them know that their fights, their struggle, their resistance, their resilience, and then passing on knowledge, which is a significant part of our culture, is still alive and thriving here. Mm. Uh, and I feel that language is inside everybody. It's just uh, people at their points in life and their times to be able to bring them out. You're born with it. It's part of your connection and your identity. And at a point in time, people will choose to engage with it as well. So, but yeah, but Latta, Latumwa, Latun, Latlinyung, Travis Lovett, Ketapa Gunjima meeting, Linyan Kokon, Kenan Konda Terek Bujbim, Yumbin meeting, Wadandri, Ma meeting, Kulin meeting, Nian Karabanjul Wangwa, Ma Wool, Book, Bidderong, Beauty meeting, Narakiton meeting, Narakiton Ma, Min Mon Mo. So I just acknowledge country. I pay my respects to my ancestors as a proud Kirupmara Gunijamara man. Recognize I am on the lands and we are on the lands today conducting this deadly podcast on Urundri country and recognize their ongoing connection to the Bidarong. Some people know it as the Yarra, but mm. our people know it as a Bidarong. Uh, and it is a Bidarong. And I think that many Urundri men and women have created and conducted ceremony uh, on that waterway for a long period of time. So I always recognize that country and water uh, are not uncoupled they are one but at the same time important to recognize personal and deep connections that they have as well and we get to live and really conduct really important business at this Uduk Justice Commission on Narundari country I also acknowledge their connection to their spirit creator Bunjul 
and also Wa the Crow, which is important as well as a part of our custom to recognize the laws. And, and, and Wa is the, the law man yeah. or, or the law creator and so mm. forth. So I think it's important anyway that uh, we always do that. And no matter where we are as Aboriginal people, we always respect other people's laws. And there's a lot of synergies between our laws on country, but there's also some differences as well that many people don't know about. But first and foremost, you always acknowledge that you're on someone else's land and you state your intentions. I think it's really important you say that. Now, I'm going to jump in here and this is, we're going to go right off the, uh, off, off track. But one of the things that I do get quite emphatic about whenever I'm at an event and I hear people do an acknowledgement of country, and quite often we hear it in local government and other areas, and it's just this plain, yeah, we acknowledge we're here today on the lands of the Wurundjeri, Woiwurrung, and, you know, yeah. And you know there's no emphasis, there's no feeling, there's no passion, no thought behind it. How does that affect you when you hear that sort of stuff? Yeah, uh, look, it is a really good question. I get a little bit emotional about it because, you know, I mean, it's important to our people. And and, and we as Aboriginal people... We take our business and our culture and our identity and language very seriously. Yeah. And I think that people are going through the motions. And that's not about what, what the I guess the customary process is about. It's about it's about pausing, reflecting, and recognizing. And again, as I said before, instating your intentions around what the event is today or what the intentions are of you being on other people's country as well. So yeah, it is, you know, challenging when people just get off or they pronounce the TO group or the you know the, the <laughs> yeah. traditional owner group wrong as well. So, you know, I and I know that there's, you know, there's a part around where we recognise people trying to have a go, but then there's a lot of the times that it can become quite rhetoric as well. So yeah. I think that we do want to encourage uh, non-Aboriginal people to engage in this customary process, but also to do a little bit of research and, and add a bit of personal sentiment around why they are personally doing it rather than kind of reading off a script and just using word for word and actually just sharing a little bit of insights around, you know, even just for the point that they might be on Runjury Warrior country, but they might have grown up on Gunditch country. So it's saying, all right, well, here we're on the lands of the Runjury people who recognise their elders past, present and future and acknowledge that, but then sort of bring a bit of personal connection into where I grew up on another person's country or something like that as an example. But it can be quite disheartening at the same time, you know, and I think that we just got to keep reinforcing the messages around why it's so important and why we always do it. There's a lot of passion behind you. I can hear yeah. that. I, just, I wasn't expecting that sort of answer. But I love it. Really? So let's, before we get into the work of Yulrook in 2023 and then going forward to 2024, Let's have a bit of an understanding as to why Travis Lovett put his name forward to be a commissioner because, quite frankly, you've done an enormous amount of work. You've worked in the Koori Courts. You've worked in Aboriginal Victoria. You've been all over the place, especially in the state government. What was the tipping point for you to decide this is something that I'd like to investigate, becoming one of the commissioners? Yeah, it's a really, really great question. I mean, you just talked about a number of things. I think having the experience around first working at VAI in education, mm. you know, working sort of the education sector, a little bit in health, mainly in social policy like justice and, and, and natural resource management. So kind of just wanting to really pick up on the skills that I gained in working with my people in the community or Koori Orgs as we call them, or Aboriginal organisations or ACOs, to also utilising the skills and expertise that I was able to acquire when I worked in government at many different levels and uh, feeling that I, you know, you never think you're ready. And I think that there's something that, uh, and I'm probably going off topic here, but you know, we, we as blackfellas, well, a lot of us um, have and you know suffer from imposter syndrome. Am I ready? Uh, is this the right thing? Yeah, uh, and so forth as well. So talking to role models and mentors that I had as well around having the ability to kind of is this something that people would back me in as well? 
And I guess cherry pick as well. Cherry pick from the talents of individuals around you that you really like and that you feel that you could use the skills and expertise and strategic approach around around that kind of stuff. And they're also just, you know, being there to support our people, but just feeling that uh, I've got a lot to give, you know, and I think one of the things that I really pride myself on is uh, I am young. I don't like to say I'm too young, but I am, you know, I guess quite youthful still. But I always like to have that mantra of, you know, we're not defined by our age around what we can contribute to our people. So that was, I guess, a you know something a catalyst for me going. Well, I've got a lot of skills, got a lot of expertise. I know quite a bit about land and yeah. waters and all that kind of stuff as well. So I think that you know, and and having you know been to university as well, and so you know work through a lot of stuff. But just feeling like I can contribute and actually bring justice for our people really uh, is the main thing. It's just like I think that's why I I put my hand up and. Uh, and went through a process. You know, it's quite an exhaustive process to become a commissioner, but I don't want to deter people from that. It's it's we've got to put our hands up. We've got to have our people in senior roles. You know, I grew up in the public housing right across the road here, actually, in those Fitzroy flats. A lot yeah. of people see me today and they see the suit and the tie and all that kind of stuff. But <laughs> actually, changed man. Brother Body. <laughs> hey, Brother Boy started in the, the Fitzroy high rises over there, and I'm I'm proud of that. You know, it's it's uh, it, it hasn't been a you know an easy ride. Uh, I mean, many of us know the Lovett family and the Lovett story and moving Absolutely. from Goodrich into Melbourne and. Yeah. So, you know, just uh, I think it, it incredibly important. So you came in and you filled in the, the seat of Uncle Wayne Atkinson mm-hmm. and you had to hit the ground running. 6th of March, that's when the announcement was made. That's when you formally became a commissioner. And essentially you're less than two years out from the ending of taking submissions and we'll get more to that a little bit later on. From the 6th of March onwards, what was it like for the newly minted commissioner travelling out on country, taking evidence? Mm. What's it been like since March this year? Yeah, what a whirlwind. I think on my first day, I was actually, we had a hearing with a couple of the organisations come and give evidence around justice issues. And so that was kind of a bit of a deer in the headlights because whilst it's a more culturally appropriate process, it's still quite a formal room in there. And it gives gravitas to the importance of it being a royal commission and a truth-telling commission first and foremost, but also having the Royal Commission powers. So, but just, I'm a big personality and I'm, I'm, I'm really confident and I do like talking. You know, I school Mara, people do talk very fast, so I should have highlighted that at the start. That, that is but, something uh, I've but, noticed about the mob from down the southwest, yeah. <laughs> but, you know, I think that's the thing, being connected to your people. I already knew some of the people yeah. that came before uh, on my first day, in a sense. So, uh, I think also, I guess, having the luxury of being able to watch some of the hearings that the other commissioners had conducted prior to me coming as well, so getting a feel for the role that way. But, but just utilising my lived experience to be able to come in and just start asking questions from day one, prompting around, hey, can we unpack that a little bit more? You were talking about, you know, for instance, your roles on the Koori courts, just using that as an example of the person that was before us, you know, like, is there any opportunities that you see that you've been working there for years around, you know, reform opportunities or what are the current barriers to, you know, people coming before, things like that as well, you know. But what took you by surprise? Because there must have been some things that when you came in here, you would have thought, wasn't expecting that. There's so much. I think it's uh, trying to encourage really our people to come forward and tell yeah. the truth. So actually, you know, ensuring that we've got more of our people's voices. And I know we're going to get to that about the submission process soon, but really, you know, our priority here, our number one priority out of anything is to make sure that we are having a culturally appropriate and a trauma-informed approach to how we are taking truth for our people. But this really goes back to your time with the Koori Court. Yeah. So I can see a lot of similarities, and surely you would too. Yeah. 
It's a good point. Actually, one of the things that I first said when I did walk in was it reminded me of the Koori Courts. When I first walked in the room, I just sort of got a feel. No one else is in the room. I walked in. I'm like, oh, wow, this is actually – it just reminded me straight away. It's interesting you yeah. say that of Koori Courts, but, a, but a, quite a grandiose version of Koori Courts because the table is huge. There's lawyers everywhere and all that kind of stuff as yeah. well. So, yeah, but really, I guess just making sure that we are providing a really good service for our people and being able to capture the truths, I think, is, is something, yeah. So, have you done much travelling around the country this year? Because I assume there would have been a fair bit of that travelling out there to hearings, taking evidence, speaking to community. What are some of the highlights? Yeah, they've done heaps of engagement. It's been absolutely, you know, one of the things I've, I've always um, prioritised in my work, whether I've worked in community org or whether I've worked in government or in my personal life, yeah. you know, engaging with the mob, getting out and talking to them. A lot of the connections we develop, you know, we as Blackfellas have run the principle of we develop connections for life. It's not transactional. So we're able to draw on, on, on experiences and expertise and networks through the work that we do. As well, I feel that I'm pretty honest and straight out and transparent with people as well. So, uh, you know where you stand with me, but also, you know, I'm a really good listener. And I think that something that, you know, again, I've prioritised building relationships, uh, longevity. So, uh, where are so some forth. of the places so, you've been yeah, to yeah, that yeah, really yeah. stick to mind? Yeah, totally. I mean, we've well, we've been up on the Murray country, you know, and I think a lot of people yeah. in the traditional owner space, uh, well, government sort of version of the registered Aboriginal party. So, we've met with a number of registered Aboriginal parties, but one of the things I'm really proud about in the work that we've been doing as well is meeting with them, but also the non-registered Aboriginal parties, the likes of Wamba Mob, the yep. likes of Waddies and the Taddy Taddies, Monero Mob, we were just down there a couple of weeks ago. So really, uh, I think I've been nearly everywhere in the state, really trying to get out and talk to as many people who want to meet with us. There's no caveats around who can come forward. Well, you know, Bidwell, Gwindich, Gwindich Mring. So you don't need a seat at the table. You don't uh, need to be a wrap to have a seat yeah, at the table. Yeah, no, exactly. Yeah. Well, it's a really good yeah. you know, I think that's something that I really want to emphasise um, through this podcast, but also through the work that we're doing. We are here to talk and listen, really. We're here to talk about the work of Yuduk, but actually listen to mob. Mm. Uh, and that's, you know, a key part of our role is actually more important than the listening and the, and the, the taking of truth. So you're listening to people's story. Uh, we do have, you know, also um, um, counsellors available to work through the trauma that this does bring up from people. We also use a line this to try to heal our people as well, um, but it does bring up a lot of a lot of things. You know, we're talking about land, we're talking about, you know, our people passing away in custody, which has personally impacted me and my family in more recent times as well. So I, I know how it feels, you know, over-representation of our children in the child protection system as well. You know, I've got, I've got nieces and nephews who have been through that system. So this is personal, deeply personal personal to us and, and, and us as a commissioners as well. You know, we have family that are impacted by these systems. Uh, and so, you know, we're, we're trying to work really hard to make sure that we put recommendations forward to the government. And we have expectations of the government that uh, they implement the recommendations of our report, you know, 46 recommendations. We've tried to also make sure that we are enabling self-determination because we've heard loud and clear through the community engagement and the roundtables that we've been having that self-determination is the number one priority. Okay. The number one priority from my, one of the mm. first things they say is we want self-determination, self-determination. We'll, we'll, we'll get to that in a minute Sorry, because you did, no, no, you did mention land. Now, you are leading up the investigation to land, sky and waters. Now, submissions for that, I think, finalised on about the 17th of November, but evidence, I assume, is still being taken on that. So, what's the focus? Because I believe there are six themes under that investigation. So, let's have a bit of a yarn about that, because that's your key area of responsibility right now within your look. 
Yeah, that's one of the things I'm, I'm, I've been blessed, you know, internally to be able to do is lead this work. Land and justice for me is one of the most important components of truth telling in Victoria. I mean, it's important to everyone across Australia as well. So, you know, understanding, you know, things like the current regimes or the current policies and frameworks that government have, things like native title things like the traditional owner settlement agreement, things like the RAP process, you know, through the Aboriginal Heritage Council. That's pretty contentious, let's be frank. That that's I mean, There's not a year that goes by, but there's not some kerfuffle arising from a decision over boundaries and non-recognition of RAPs, whatever. So this is all of a sudden, this is within your purview? That's exactly right. But we have to understand that this is, this is also our people navigating 200 years yeah. of colonial roots, that these systems, native title, traditional settlement agreement and the RAP process, they implement elements of our culture, but the reality are is they are colonial processes that we don't have as Aboriginal people any decision-making off. So I think that's, and this is something we're hearing a lot from community across the state of Victoria as well. They're not fit for purpose and they've generated some benefits to our people, but there's also a lot of sacrifice that comes with, you know, engaging in these processes as well. So I think, you know, another thing that we're hearing pretty loud and clear is, is, is uh, where's the economic opportunities generated from land? Where's the economic opportunities generated from water? We as Aboriginal people and, and the mob are telling us that they're passionate about the Bitterong, for instance, around the health of our waterways. Yeah. So it's not just about economic development. We as mob, and we've heard this loud and clear, is that we don't look at things purely from an economic lens like a lot of people in society do. We first look after caring for country, culture, health of lands and waters and people and so forth as well. So uh, again, coming back to 200 years of destruction, devastation, and, and cultural deprivation of the landscape is what we are actually talking to community about. And we're encouraging community to come forward and share their truths about particular places, sites, whether it be boundaries, whether it be aspirations as well. We need to understand what do you want to see in the future? I mean, that's our, that's part of our terms of reference that you look as we have to provide recommendations back to government uh, and the First Peoples Assembly of Victoria that they will negotiate through treaty. Some of the stuff government's got to get cracking on already as we've recommended. Now, this is really important because you've emphasised that it's the provision of recommendations to the state government, the First Peoples Assembly of Victoria. So, Yurok is not about actually changing boundaries. It's not overturning the decisions made by the Koori Heritage. It's not introducing registered Aboriginal party authority to other mobs. It's about collecting the information, isn't it? That's exactly right. We're not here to prosecute any boundaries or any decisions. Yeah. But I do want to be really clear that we do have the authority to question the processes that lead to the determinations. So there's a just clear distinction there that, yes, distinctions have been made or decisions have been made about those boundaries and, and authority to speak for country. Mm. I want to be clear that we're not looking and investigating that, but it's actually about the system, the process, that we put our people through to be able to ultimately determine that for them to be able to, as non-Aboriginal people and decision makers, determining on who the right people are for country and so forth. So we can make recommendations uh, around processes, around how to improve processes, but also identify new and innovative ways that work for our people, our culture, our identity and our cultural protocols, what we call LORE. Yeah. We are constantly yeah. in the constructs of 200 years of colonialism around LAW that continually articulates a hierarchy over our LORE. Yeah. We have the unique ability through the work at Yuruk to incorporate more of our LORE practices 
And I think that that's something that should we hear from mob and community about what their expectations are, then that will also help inform the recommendations, which is, again, why we want to talk to as many people that want to come forward and share their truths, whether it be land, whether it be health and all those other streams, primarily land right now, what we're talking about, to be able to share, again, the aspiration around what they want to see for the future. Our people have been held in, again, the colonial process for so long that a lot of our people are only thinking about the current barriers to that situation. So when we say to our mob, like, oh, okay, well, what is what what do you want to see in the future? A lot of them are still, we can identify issues because that's, as, as a people, we've been held in that space around issues to identify issues rather than what the solutions are. So, so what's next for the land, sky and waters area of investigation? Yeah, that's a really good question. Um, so we continually are going out. So whilst we've been extensively going out and engaging across the state, as you said before as well, our submissions uh, have closed, but we have extended... I guess uh, a few people have written in and asked for an extension as well. So, yeah. um, but we are really trying to, you know, make sure that we uh, collect as much evidence, uh, and that can be done through written submissions. It can be done through the roundtables that we're holding, and, and people coming forward as well. So, I think that really utilizing that process to be able to gather information, we are still, as I said, continually going across the state and meeting with a number of groups. I've got a, I've got a session in a couple of days, a couple this week actually, uh, and we have been going out on weekends. I want to stress to them, this is not just a nine to five gig Monday to Friday we uh, you know we are available and we've been doing Saturday and Sunday sessions since I got here uh, and I can't talk for Paul because I wasn't here but but since I've got here we've yeah. had a number of commissioners out on the weekends doing stuff as well so we are really keen to go and meet with the mob on their terms on their country or the ways that they need us to be able to gather evidence and information we've also got our truth receivers as well talking to mob continually gathering evidence and truths across the state as well so I think that going and talking to community more about that also early next year you know we'll, we'll have some we still haven't locked in the date yet but but we will have some government accountability hearings as we did for uh, criminal justice and child protection so what will they look like those government accountability hearings yeah so uh this is where we bring ministers forward key ministers that have decision making power and authority over the portfolios things like you know water things land and so forth just using the land justice as an example so you know asking them to come forward and answer a number of questions would you be bringing forward though past ministers because obviously Obviously, when you look at the First Peoples and Treaty Minister, we've got Natalie Hutchins now. I know she was involved previously as well. But what about Gabrielle Williams? What about Gavin Jenkins? Those people have held that portfolio really for the past decade or so together. Would you expect to be bringing those in there as well? Look, as we're gathering evidence from the community as well and the mob and traditional owners across the state, we are... I guess, still planning on who we'll bring forward. But sure. what I do want to make clear to mob listening in and community anyway is that we have the ability to also call back previous ministers. As a royal commission. As a royal commission. We've got, the powers, we got yeah. the powers to compel. Um, but also, you know, most people, most, sorry, most times when we have requested a minister or a senior bureaucrat come, they have, you know, openly, openly come as well. So we do have the powers to be able to do that. Uh, and if community across the state are really asking for, you know, and identifying key moments in history that have really, uh, or decisions that have really impacted on their ability to gain access to, you know, to culture, country, and um, so forth, we'll be able to, you know, consider what our approach would be to bringing previous people back. So I'm not saying we're going to do that. But what I'm saying is we have the ability and the authority and the power 
to use a non-blackfellow word, power to actually be able to bring people before the commission. I like the emphasis yeah. on that one. It was noted, Travis, yeah. so well done. Now, we've only got a couple of minutes left, but I do want to ask about the fact that we've got right now, as of publishing of this episode, we've got about 12 months until its cut-off date for the collection of submissions and the giving of evidence. So what would you be urging community right across Victoria to start considering? And we're talking about Aboriginal and non-Aboriginal community. Yeah, I think I think come forward and share your truths. I mean, you know, for our people as well, you know, there is, you know, a lot to be said. And I think that I just really want to encourage people to be able to, um, you know, engage with us and uh, and come forward and share their truths as well. You know, uh, talk to some of the other mob about some of the other people that have been before, you know, uh, us and, and talk about the experience. But really, you know, we do, again, we, uh, we are a trauma-informed and we do have counsellors available to be able to, you know, engage with people should they want to engage with that level, that service to be able to help them through the process. We've got truth receivers out there promoting all the work that we're doing. And you look, this is our people's chance. The first yeah. chance that we've had to be able to put our truths on the public record. This is not Victorian truths in the context, sorry, Aboriginal truths. This is the true history of Victoria. We have to be really clear on that because it's not, you know, uh, and I think that's something that I keep emphasising as well, the true history of Victoria. Engaging non-Aboriginal people as well. You know, some families have been able to build, you know, generate a lot of wealth yeah, from our country, absolutely. our people's country across the state as well. So, and there's been a lot of trauma, you know, whether we're talking about sorry business sites or massacre sites, whichever way you want to articulate that, or, you know, pastoral lands and so forth as well, about what they've been able to do with, with the land that was taken from our people. But them coming forward as well. We're encouraging non-Aboriginal people to come forward and share their truths around their families' contributions to the impacts of colonisation on our people as well. Uh, and people shouldn't be scared to engage in this process. We're encouraging people to come forward and share the true history of Victoria because, again, it's, uh, it's incredibly important. It's our people's first time to be able to put our truths, that truth, on the public record. And what we will do is on the website, the Victorian Aboriginal News website, we will provide links to the Uruk Justice Commission's website where there are full details on how to provide submissions and provide evidence as well. Commissioner Travis Lovett, thank you so much indeed for your time. Certainly, and thanks for the opportunity again to come and share some of the work that we're doing in uh, Uruk Justice Commission. And uh, and in my language, or in our language, the Woodwood language, we say Wuduk, which means for now. We never say goodbye in Aboriginal culture because we always see each other again in the future. So, Wuduk. For a full transcript of this interview, visit the Victorian Aboriginal News website at vicaboriginalnews.com.au Until our next episode, stay safe and stay informed. Mm -hmm.